in week one, we looked at the Trinity and how a Christian can say God is love because that is built upon the unchanging nature of a triune God. In week two, we looked at the incarnation and how Jesus took upon flesh and was 100% God and 100% man, two natures in one person. In week three, we looked at the foundation that all morality and ethics must be built upon. In week four, we looked at what it means for humans to be made in the image of God. And now we turn to a question, a question that's primarily built upon a statement. And this statement is something you've probably heard even if you weren't raised in church or you weren't raised to be a Christian. That statement is, Jesus saves. Now this is a statement that I've seen on t-shirts and bumper stickers. I've even seen it on, on signs that people are carrying in front of stadiums so that everyone walking by can see the statement Jesus saves. I've also seen it in huge signs on the freeway as billboards. Jesus saves. Now the question for us though is what exactly do we mean when we say Jesus saves? And more importantly, what does the Bible mean when it says Jesus saves? Now, first, what I'd like to do is just take a brief look at the basic word of save or salvation and how it appears in the Old and New Testament. In the New Testament, which is written in Greek, the word is sozo. And it means to heal, to deliver, to rescue. It has all those kind of meanings wrapped up into it. In Hebrew, the word is Yeshua, and it again means to rescue, to deliver, to heal, or to accept. Yeah. Now, we encounter this word in a powerful way in the Exodus story. In Exodus chapter 14, Israel, they've been recently delivered from Egypt, but they are trapped between the waters and Pharaoh. Pharaoh's armies are coming, and on the other side, there is the water, and they have to somehow find a way out, and there seems to be no hope. They are trapped with impending doom on each side of them, and it's in that context that Moses declares in Exodus chapter 14, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So when the Bible talks about saving or salvation, it has this meaning of rescuing or delivering or sometimes healing or bringing a restoration. Now, before we leave Greek and Hebrew, there's something else we must attend to that's incredibly important. And it has to do with the way people named their children in Bible times. See, what they would often do is take two words and slam them together to make a new name that communicated a specific meaning. So, for example, in the New Testament, you have the name Theophilus. And Theophilus is taken from two Greek words. The first, the theo part, is from theos, God. And the second, the phylos part, is from the Greek word phileo, which means to love the, in the sense that you would love a a friend or, or, or maybe a relative. And so you slam those two words together, theos and phileo, and you get theophilus, means to be beloved of God or to be a friend of God. 
And that's how it worked in Greek, but it works in a very similar way in Hebrew. You take two words and kind of slam them together. And so Michael is Michael. The last phrase in that is El, the last syllable you hear, and that's the Hebrew word for God. You add the Michai, and it means who is like God. Jeremiah means Yahweh raises up. And this is really important and popular in the Old Testament here, is they would take the Hebrew name for God, the covenantal name, Yahweh, yod Hey, vah Hey, and they would add other verbs to that to produce a new name. And you usually know that's what's going on in the Old Testament when the name has a Aya sound at the end. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micaiah, Ananiah. Those are all instances where the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, is slammed up against another word to produce something new. Now, this is where it gets interesting. For all Old Testament history, there is this hope that the Lord, Yahweh, would save, that the God of Israel would rescue his people. We see this very early on in the Old Testament with the curse placed upon the serpent figure. God says, one day someone will strike at your head. We see this in the Psalms. There is this hope for God to save, a hope for salvation. We see this in what is called the Babylonian exile, the hope that God would save Israel and bring them back home into their homeland, Israel. We see this when Israel is oppressed and they are under the boot of evil empires. So throughout the Old Testament, there is a hope that the God of Israel would save Israel. Save them from what? A lot of things. From the serpent, oppression, exile, suffering, and more. So throughout the Old Testament, there is this hope that the God of Israel, Yahweh, would save Israel. Save them from what? The serpent the evil empires, bring them back from exile, save them from oppression, and so much more. Now, this is where something remarkable occurs. In the Gospel of Matthew, it recounts a story of an angel speaking to a man named Joseph who's betrothed to a young woman named Mary. And he tells them about a child coming into the world and what they ought to name that child. Matthew 1:21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. His name is to be called Jesus. In Greek, Iesus, but this is the Greek rendition of the Hebrew word, and Hebrew name, Yeshua. And Yeshua is doing exactly what we just talked about. It's taking two Hebrew words and slamming them together. The two Hebrew words, first, it's the covenantal Hebrew name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. And the second part of that word means to save. So Jesus, Iesu, Yeshua, literally means God saves, or more precisely, Yahweh saves. So the angel is saying that someone is going to come that's going to bring salvation. He's going to save his people, save them from the serpent, from oppression, from suffering, sickness. And although you might think of those things first, but the angel says he is going to save his people from their sin. And initially, that might sound like a disappointment, especially if you're a Jewish person in the first century world. I mean, why do I need salvation from my sins? What I want salvation from is from oppression. I mean, Rome has their boot upon me and my family's neck. Why can't God save us in a climactic fashion like he did in the Exodus story? Remember, God steps in and intervenes and pushes back Pharaoh and his armies and delivers his people. But the good news is that when the Bible says Jesus is going to save from sin, 
bound up in saving from sin, he is going to do a lot more than just save you from sin. And to understand that, you might be asking the question of how is he going to do that? How is Jesus going to save from sin and a whole lot more? But the right question is not to ask how is he going to do that? The right question is to ask when is he going to do that? Because the question of when is a whole lot more mysterious, complicated, and tricky than you might initially think. So let me explain. When you read the scriptures, you will encounter verses that make salvation, God's saving, a thing in the past. It's like you follow Jesus and then you are saved in the past. For example, Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So if you are a Christian, you were saved in the past when you first expressed faith in Christ. It is this past event when you begin following Jesus, something happened and your sins were forgiven. And that's kind of straight enough, but then we encounter these bizarre verses that speak of salvation being something in the future. For example, Romans 5.9 tells us that, Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So the Bible speaks of salvation in the past tense and in the future. It's something that happened before and it's something that is still yet to occur. And it gets even more complicated because the Bible will talk about salvation in the present tense as if you are being saved in the present moment. For example, 1 Corinthians 1.18 reads, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved, past, present, and future. So what is actually going on here? And to answer that, we have to return to our original question of, what does it mean when the Bible says, Jesus saves? Think of salvation as a multifaceted diamond. There is only one salvation that the Christian experiences, but that salvation can be seen in many different lights. As you rotate it and allow light to hit it at different angles, new beauty is found. So how does this all play out for what it means to be saved? Now, there are three ways to look at the primary nature of the multifaceted diamond, three ways in which salvation is working. Past, present, and future. And this chart sort of breaks down how each one of those aspects work. So first, in the past, at some point, you begin to trust in Jesus. And at that point, something occurs. The theological term for this is justification. You put your faith in Jesus and justification occurs. And that is a one-time event. It's instantaneously. I trusted in Jesus. I put my faith in him and I was justified. And that delivers you from the penalty of sin. So in the past, justification occurred when you put faith in Jesus. That was a one-time event and that saved you from the penalty of sin because your sins have at that point been forgiven. But remember the multifaceted nature. You are currently being saved as well according to the scriptures. And there's another theological term for that. Being saved in the present the term is sanctification, and that is not an event. It is an ongoing process, and that is saving you from the power of sin. Let me explain what I mean by that. 
When you become a Christian, God puts his spirit inside of you. And the Bible says that he is faithful to complete the work that he began in you. So with every passing day, the power of sin loses its grip on me. Not completely, not entirely, but year after year, a Christian should be more conformed to the image of Jesus. If you've been a Christian for 30 years, you should behave in a way that reflects Jesus more than you used to 20 years, 30 years prior. So sanctification is what is occurring every day in the believer's life. And it's a long process, your whole entire life. And it's delivering you from the power of sin, not completely in entirety. That's a different aspect of salvation yet to come. That gets to the future component, which the theological term is glorification. And that's likewise an event and saving you completely from the presence of sin. Let me break down what that means. You will die one day and Jesus will come back to judge the world. And on that day, if you put your faith in Jesus and you were forgiven in the past and for your entire life, you were growing in sanctification on that day, Jesus will raise you up. You will receive a resurrected body, which is delivered from the presence of sin. Sin will no longer have a hold of you. Your feet will no longer wander. You will have a resurrected body in which you can serve your Lord completely without hindrance. So to summarize in the past, you were saved from the penalty of sin. Your sins have been forgiven. Right now, if you are a believer, sanctification is occurring. You are becoming more and more like Jesus with every passing day. And lastly, one day you will die and then you go to meet the Lord. And on the final day, you will receive a new body delivered from the presence of sin and you will serve your Lord completely without hindrance. So when we say Jesus saves, it has all of those layers built into it. And the beauty of all of this is that when we say the name of Jesus, we are actually saying what we are talking about. The name of Jesus is Yahweh saves, God saves. This is why there is no other name above Jesus. This is why to say the name of Jesus is so sweet. In Jesus, we see and find God's salvation. Now, this is where all of this theology becomes important and incredibly practical. As we have stated in this series, theology is the fuel for Christian hope and Christian living. It is not just an academic exercise. Christian theology is built for a world of trouble and is medicine for the believer in times of trouble. So how does this theology apply to our lives? How does the multifaceted diamond, which is salvation, work in a very practical level in our day-to-day -day life. Now, first, let's explore salvation in the past, that you were forgiven and saved from the penalty of sin. There are times in life where the past will come to haunt you. And some of you wrestle with this more than others. There are times when your past failures, your past shame, your past sin comes back and you tell yourself, I'm not good enough. I am a failure. No one could ever accept me. That's where you stand on the gospel truth that you were justified. When you put faith in Jesus, your sins were forgiven and you were saved from the penalty of sin. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you feel the shame, the doubt, the failure, you stand on that gospel truth, the rich theology of salvation. You have been saved. You are forgiven. 
And likewise, there are times in our everyday lives where we fall back into sin. So we're not being reminded of the past, but we're actually being reminded of our present struggles. The fact that, you know, we thought we made some progress in this area and guess what? We're back into the same old sin behavioral patterns as before. And you say, I don't have it in me. I've tried. I'm ready to throw in the towel. At that point, you remind yourself, it is not just you working. The Spirit of God is in your life, and He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. You have died to the old self. The power of God's Spirit is alive and working in you, and He is faithful to get the job done. Tomorrow is a new day. His mercies are new every morning. And lastly, there will come a time when all of us will face this. And for some people, it may be a decade. For some people, it may be five decades from now, but there will be a day when your body is weak and death will be approaching and there may be fear and doubt. But at that point, you remind yourself that although my body might be old, my spirit has never been more alive. And what's on the other side is a resurrected, glorified body, which I will enjoy serving my creator for all eternity. You have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. This is what we mean when we say, Jesus saves past, present, and future. This is why there is no better name than Jesus, no name above it. Jesus saves. Salvation is a diamond.